Hi, my name is Tracy G and I'm an inner work coach, NLP trainer and podcaster extraordinaire. Passionate about equality and a world that is more diverse and inclusive, giving each and every one of us the opportunity to be the best version of ourselves. As a biracial woman, I've experienced my fair share of discrimination in the past and come out on top. We all know that discrimination and bias still exists in the world today, and it's not always easy to know what to do about it. This podcast, All One Inclusive, is about celebrating all diversity and being proud of all that you are. I chat with inspiring guests and my friends as we share stories from news sources and listeners from all over the world who have experienced some form of discrimination firsthand. The aim is for us to be able to discuss this issue more openly so it becomes better understood by all and provide tips about what you can do to make a difference. The world may have a lot of catching up to do, but if we can imagine a more equal world, we can create change step by step, ripple by ripple. Hello, happy hump day. Happy hump day. Oh, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. It's a beautiful day. It's not really Wednesday when we record this, but you know, happy okay. home day to everybody else. It's a beautiful day. It's going to be a beautiful weekend. I'm spending it with friends. I'm going to have a really good time. Very excited about that. What about you? Yes, I am excited. I'm, my uncle's here from New Zealand, so I'm going to see him, which is nice. Um, but I'm going to try and I'm going to watch Black Adam and stuff. And Yes, so we'll be doing You've got a busy day. Yes, busy, busy couple of days, but that's nice. It is nice. It is nice. Mm-hmm. Really nice. Go over when we do these, how round my face is. I'm going to let you into a secret, Mina, <laughs> and tell you something. <laughs> People's faces are round. I know. <laughs> Mine looks like a football. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It's just being just be disproportionate, not at all. Uh, anyway, yeah. Oh. And um, what did you get up to last week? Jeez. Oh, I cooked last week, which is, as you know, is very rare. Yeah. For me. I mean like a full meal. Mm. You know, did a full meal. I did cake, which I burst. Nice. Ah. Um, which is also rare because I've cooked this cake, you've eaten it, ginger cake. I've cooked it like a hundred times and, and it's been fine. But of course, when I invite someone over and um, make it, it, I burnt it. So, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You're cooking a lot more these days. What did I do? Oh, we went to see... Um, Oh, a uh, woman king. Oh yes, we did. That was amazing. That, was that movie. Really I loved it. I did. Um, Viola Davis was fantastic in that movie. Mm. It was just powerful, riveting. Had you on the edge of your seats. I was just like constantly like oh, like this rooting <laughs> for these powerful women. It was amazing. And I had not realized, actually, it was a bit of a history lesson. I know it's not necessarily factual. A little bit of a history lesson for me because I had no idea that African countries were complicit in their um, slavery. I didn't realize they were selling their own people or other tribes into slavery. I had no idea. And I guess guess it's a kind of, well... Be enslaved or enslave others kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And especially, well, I mean, that movie predicted, well, not predicted, showed how um, a tribe that wasn't as wealthy was improving their status by selling slaves. You know, I don't, obviously, we don't know how accurate all of that is. Um, But, yeah, I can imagine that if you're, if you figured out that's one way to earn money, then, yeah. That would be, um, I guess the closest thing we have to it now is human trafficking still happens. Yes, modern day slavery. Yeah, the modern day version. 
It's just yes. sickening. I always like struggle to see things like that because I just can't understand how you can treat people mm-hmm. like that. I remember a story in India where they found a girl that was locked in an apartment. Um, she was like a domestic slave, basically, because the and there were doctors who 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 owned that apartment. When they went on leave, they leave. They went on holidays. They locked her in there, so she couldn't leave. Anyway, they found out and obviously, you know, arrested them and stuff. But it was horrendous. So yeah. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, but there was controversy around the movie you were telling me. I yes, can't remember was. why you were. Because um, that tribe itself um, was said to be quite brutal. Um, and, you know, they're, they're portraying them as more heroic and things like that. But they they were said to be quite brutal, um, especially when warring with other tribes. And mm. so, yeah. Man. Okay. however brilliant film right it was a good film it was and they did such a good job I mean I thought so so Mm. um yeah yeah weirder stories have been told I feel so I I think it still has merit yeah despite Uh, do you know I can't remember what we were talking about we're talking about another film maybe where I was saying you know it's great to see a a Hollywood film with so many black characters where they're not all like criminals and slaves. But this was, this is kind of like, well, there was a lot of slaves in this one, but yeah. Yeah. But there were also very empowered characters. Like, I mean, you know, it was what caught me was it was a movie that didn't depict a tribal scene or African village as, decrepit and you know like yeah you know, it was like normal and and yeah you know, it was a beautiful place everybody lived happily and you know it yeah. was nice the fact that it didn't have to be squalor and and yeah so well actually that's that is like more like what it is like or what it was like yeah it was more empowering and powerful depictions you're right you're right they're really well, a lot more positive mm. sure right what story do you have for me, Mino? So I have one from the BBC. It's very sad. So this is from the 3rd of November, which is a few days old. Um, but the headline reads, Cassius Turvey Aboriginal boys killing puts spotlight on racism in Australia. Ugh, I hate titles like this because they, you know, it's all, all, almost... Like, oh, we forget about racism in Australia and then something happens and then we're like, oh, yeah, shit, yes. I guess it does kind of happen that way, especially in the media. But, okay, so three weeks ago, Aboriginal teenager Cassius Turvey was walking home from his Perth school with friends when a stranger allegedly pulled up in a utility van and told the group to run. What happened next um, has shocked Australia and posed hard questions, many say, about the pervasive racism in the country. I mean, hard questions. We ask this all the time, but okay. Mm. Passengers in the car allegedly chased down the Aboriginal boys who were wearing school uniforms and before two were violently attacked. One victim um, was already injured, um, a 13-year-old boy whose own crutches were used to beat him, causing bruising to his face, authorities say. The other was 15-year-old Cassis, who police believe was assaulted with a metal pole. The Nurunga Yamaji boy, sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong, died 10 days later after suffering seizures and two strokes from um, serious head injuries. And then there's a warning um, in the article um, to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander readers who obviously because there's images of of the, the young boy who died. Um, a 21-year-old white man, Jack Stevens, and then it says James um, Beverly, which uh, there's no comma, so I can't tell if that's four names for one guy or two different names, mm. has been charged with murdering Cassius and assaulting the other boy. Police have not ruled out further charges against Mr. Beverly or others, which I assume were other people in the car. I mean, I don't understand why one person was charged. 
like genuinely like everybody who was in that car should be charged like uh, yeah um, western australia police say it was a possible vigilante attack after mr um, Beryl's car was damaged the day before but there is nothing to suggest Cassius and his friends were involved in the earlier incident, police say, nor any indication they knew their alleged attackers. I think that's a cop out. Who gives a shit about the cop? Um, officers are investigating claims the boys were racially abused before the attack. That's that's a given. But Commissioner Cole um, Balch has urged the community not to speculate about emotive or jump to conclusions or piss off. It may be the case of mistaken identity. It may be the case of the wrong place at the wrong time. Oh, sure. Yeah. Good old wrong place at the wrong time. But others, including Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, has said the attack was clearly racially motivated. Of course, like you'd have to be a moron not to say that. Nurungar community leaders wrote in an open letter, Cassius was not in the wrong place at the wrong time, 100%. He was in, sorry, 100% with me. Um, he was in his school uniform with his friends in broad daylight, like, Mr. Blanche has um, since said he regrets using those words, which were widely criticised. Um, but the killing has sparked national grief and anger. Thousands of people have attended um, vigils for Cassius in more than two dozen places across Australia, with events also being held in the US and New Zealand. Oh. Even before the attack, Indigenous uh, community leaders um, were scared for their for their kids, according to Emily Farmer. Her son was among those walking home with Cassius. I've told my child, um, you're an indig Indigenous boy. They're going to look at you and think um, these awful things. Just try and be smaller. Wow. I hate that I had to explain that to my son at this age. For many years, um, it has provoked, for many, it has provoked uh, memories of high-profile killings of other Indigenous teenagers, such as 14-year-old Elijah Doherty. Six years ago in a WA town, um, Kalgoorlie, uh, he was run over by a man in a, um, a four-wheel drive who believed the teenager had stolen a motorcycle from his home. The man was acquitted of manslaughter, but convicted of a lesser charge of driving dangerously causing death. Oh, for real. Human rights lawyer Hannah McClade says she also um, is reminded of other deaths. Louis St. John Johnson, 19 in 1992, Cleon Jackman, 14 in 1999, and um, Thomas T.J. Hickey in 2004. All were attacked or pursued in racially discriminatory scenarios that would not have happened to white children, according to Dr. McClay, a member of the UN per Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues. This is shameful. It's an absolute blight on the nation that young kids can be murdered like this. Um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait, Torres Strait Islander people suffer dis disproportionate rates of violence. Statistics show in some parts of the country they are six times more likely to be assaulted than non-Indigenous people. Australia does have a shocking reputation around the world for this kind of violence, says Dr. McClay. Michelle Turvey says her son was the heart and soul of his community, jovial, kind and larger than life. There was no reason for anyone not to like him, she said in a statement read out of vigils across the country. He was so concerned about negative stereotypes of Indigenous young people that he started a pay it um, what you can for lawn, um, lawn mowing business at the age of 13. Hatsius wanted the community to see that young people weren't bad people and they could do good things. Ms. Turvey wants changes made to Cass made in Cassius's name, including investments in youth programs, bullying awareness, anti-racism initiatives, and she wants justice over his death. Only a month ago, she buried her husband who had cancer, and now she's burying her son. Mm. 
Yeah, I'm heartbroken for no reason. I've lost him. He should be with us today, going to school, playing footy and living a long life. Yes. Well, that's tragic. But in the, <sighs> the, the, when they talked about, you know, disproportionate rates of violence, that's obviously we, we're all aware of, of that. Even the incarceration rates for Indigenous Australians, male and female, uh, you know, so much higher than, than non-Indigenous. So mm. Mm. it's crazy. Mm. Um, and I think we we heard a few weeks ago, months ago, I can't remember exactly, about the um, the 10-year-old boy who was incarcerated. And I can't even remember why, but it doesn't really matter. It's 10 mm. years old. Mm. He's mm. well, that young to prison. So. Mm. Oh, man, it's just... Oh, appalling mm. and more appalling that it continues to happen and nothing seems to change yep um I remember before I moved here and I was telling people I was moving to Australia from the UK and family members were really worried and saying why would you move to Australia it's a really racist country because Australia has this reputation right yeah of course um, but I didn't understand I don't and plus I don't like racism whether it's there is racism or there isn't I don't allow, want that to dictate what I can do with my life so obviously I didn't listen and came um but yeah it's shocking to hear these these things still happen yeah and I really really I can't I understand a community angry can you can understand how angry it must be yeah. Besides the grief and heartbreak, especially when you're hearing people getting off with lighter sentences, and yeah. then you're hearing about ten-year-olds going, ten-year-old Indigenous children going to prison. Hmm. Absolutely, and I feel like you know we've talked about this about you know when we were growing up and racism and things like that. I feel like that's improved for say people like me. You know, okay. I've had to deal with with stuff like that for years. So I feel like there has been an improvement towards, say, immigrants and things like that from other countries in Australia. But I feel like since I was younger to since I was, you know, now, I don't feel like there has been a lot of shift in how we treat Aboriginal people. Mm. Not a visible, not one we can tangible shift mm. in in how we think about them and how we treat them. So, uh, yeah. I think the key for me there. This is this is what gets me, how we think about them, because even I didn't obviously I'm not from Australia originally. I can't profess to know the history or, you know, the ins and outs, the politics of it all. I don't. I come here as somebody, an outsider here and just observing, taking in what I observe and what I hear. And I remember um, hearing Australian white Australians talk casually about indigenous people from their childhood growing up they're no good and they're this and they're that very disparaging degrading comments really nothing like extreme race like racism but it is racism obviously yeah, talking about like this attitude that they're no good they're bad they're oh, they're criminals they're, up to, they're always up to something so yeah. it is what you think mm. um what you think that becomes that attitude that makes you hmm. automatically assume, oh, my bike's been stolen, it must be Aboriginal. Or my car's got damage, must, or it must have been an Aboriginal person. Yeah. Like, and even, even if it was. Yeah. Death. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for, for a motorbike or for whatever happened. Like, I just don't get it. Like... And that's part of the whole thing, isn't it? Like if if it was, if it wasn't, if you if you you thought your motorbike was stolen by like somebody else who wasn't Aboriginal, would you necessarily go out and go oh, and run 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 you down? Exactly right. Yeah, it's that whole thing. No, I think he took it and he is Aboriginal. Therefore, I'm you know I'm gonna do this. You know, it's just yeah. yeah, the yeah, it's the extreme reaction as well, exactly. which suggests racism. 
Yeah, exactly. It's not just your, you know, people have shit stolen or taken from them, whatever, all the time. Mm. Nobody's going to be like, I'm going to kill the person. Like people say, but I'm the, the Gonna, I'm gonna kill the person when I find out who did this or whatever. It's, mm. just, it's almost like no, he did it, so I'm entitled to. I'm entitled to take this person's life. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's just disgusting. And another thing that you struck me as well, talking about not just about how they're portrayed, how Aboriginal people are portrayed as a generalization, as a generalization, no good, bad, but then also. Well, there's two things. When you're told you're that from a very young age, yeah. you live up to the you live up to that reputation. It's very easy to live up to that reputation, yeah. and 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 you know you create that. And also, that young child, reportedly by his mother, was trying to turn around that perception by yeah. doing great good doing good deeds from the age of thirteen. Yeah. So he's clearly a shining star. Mm. and to to leave this world in this way yeah it's just horrendous I can only imagine the only good thing if there's anything good at all which never is is that something has to change mm. yeah somebody has to do something about it yeah well I mean that this is what we've talked about many times about representation right mm. because most people possibly you and me included don't know that many Aboriginal people don't see them on our screens don't you know so when you don't have realistic you know conversations and realistic perceptions of who these people are you're going to if somebody demonizes them you might go okay I don't know any better you know, so that's why it's so important to see more Aboriginal people on our screens, mm. to be able to talk to and, and you know, converse with with people outside of these situations, mm. you know, and just be like they're normal people like everybody else. like it's just, just like you and me, basically. Exactly. Like yeah. It doesn't, I, yeah. Mm. You know, well, um, I, I mean, I have been privileged to work with some Aboriginal women because I'm, because I volunteer at what is now called Success Works. Success Works is a charity and it works with women who've experienced the criminal justice system. It's, that's in the top level, it's women, criminal justice system. So the women that have come out of prison and helping them build their lives, helping them find homes and jobs, becoming financially independent. That's basically this charity that, and I work with them and I mentor I get mentors, mentees to mentor and support them. And I've had a few and they've all been Aboriginal. Mm. So I hear the stories. Mm. I I get an understanding of what their life's been like. And I always get angry. Angry on their behalf. That's how they're treated. Mm. We hear stories like that. But also it's just... Well, even I'd like to not go into the types of crimes because mm. I'm not, you know, not making judgments on where well, the extent. But yeah, you're right. You were even saying earlier, like even just youth, youth, Aboriginal youth, I think make up about five or six percent of the Australian population. It's part mm. of the population, five or six percent. But it's like, is it 50, 60 percent are incarcerated yeah. compared to it's just. Yeah. Because the Aboriginal population in Australia isn't very big. No. Like two or three percent, like all up, all up. It's like nothing, you know. Um, yeah, they're overrepresented in so many areas. They're overrepresented. They're discriminatorily yeah. overrepresented. Um, yeah. You know, in, in, in incarceration, in, in deaths in, while incarcerated, in, in very poor health outcomes. Like, it's just, it's crazy, really. Um, that, oh, I think um, that, you know, we live in a first world country, but the Aboriginal, especially when it comes to health, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander have the health um, statistics of a third world country. So it's actually really bad from just even a health perspective, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of access and and all of that as well, Um, which is where I encounter most of my attitudes, you know, towards 
Aboriginal people because especially when I worked in a public hospital, we would ask the question of everybody, obviously, because you you know that you can't just look at someone and, and know whether they're of Aboriginal heritage. Yeah. Um, so we ask everyone, you know, are you born in Australia? Do you have Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander heritage? Yeah. Um, because obviously if they do, they're entitled to have an Aboriginal liaison officer to help them through their medical journey. Um, I didn't know that. That was the reason for the question. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the reason for the question because obviously it's actually much harder and given the rules and things like that, well, not rules, but certain ways um, that help an Aboriginal pe- person, it's important to have that Aboriginal liaison officer so they can help bridge that gap, which we've identified lead to poor outcomes for Aboriginal um, patients, right? Mm. But what is the gap? Well, because they have, you know, their 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 health is in general is so much worse. Mm. Um, you know, they die earlier. They have mm. higher rates of infant mortality. They have, you know, in general, like like I said. But what's the reason? Like, why? What's the? How does the liaison, Aboriginal liaison person? There's a lots of lots of reasons that contribute to to all of that. But what we're trying to help uh, with the Aboriginal liaison officer is um, because. Like when dealing with police, right, They had, there's a whole lot of history with Aboriginal people and dealing with um, people in the health system, doctors, nurses, whatever, you mm. know, judgment and, and not getting what they want. So if if you say something to an Aboriginal um, person and, and they don't take it the right way, right, mm. they may never come back. Right, I see what you're saying. You've lost them you've, because you've said something that you haven't yeah. really realised is triggering to them. Yeah, that's why the Aboriginal liaison officer is so important to be there because right. they feel like actually no, that's not what mm. we and this is how he's going or she's going to interpret that and you know you may yeah. not be intentionally trying to you Got know it. but and you definitely don't want to lose that patient. Mm. Um, so that's you know that's now I understand why they're there. Thank you. To help so, bridge the the cultural yes, intricacies, exactly. so that they maximise that relationship and the health outcome for that person. 100%. Yeah, and I've seen examples of that with other uh, marginalised communities, mm. um, which some of which I put in my. Um... Anyway, I'll talk about that later. Another mm. separate thing that I'm created about um, bias, basically. The, and it's a it's again it's an unconscious bias of. Um, a person not understanding and really we should all take responsibility for understanding cultures prevalent in the countries we live in yes and I think we I had an amazing course that I did at this public hospital and it was like about four hours long which talked about you know why is there a need it's all about you know um aboriginal health and you know all of that and she was amazing like she was very passionate the one who did the um, but it makes you understand how important it is yeah. that, that, you know, you're you're actually doing what you're supposed to be in the health system and, mm. you know, trying to bridge that gap the best way you can. Good. But also I've had that. So obviously I've asked people, you know, mm. patients, do you have, um, do you identify as Aboriginal? Do you have Aboriginal heritage and, and things like that? And, and, you know, most people just say, no, I mm. don't. But then you get the people who are like, no. And then they're sort of offended that you've asked, you know, why would you ask me that? It's just mm. a standard question, you know, which is what. And then you have the tiny subset of people who are like, oh, I'm not Aboriginal. And then go on to like, you know, say things like. Say derogatory things about Aboriginal. Exactly. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm always in that. I guess you have to bite your tongue. Yeah. Because, you yeah. know, you don't. As much as you may disagree or have strong opposing views, you, that person still deserves that health care, the best yeah. health care, and you could make them obviously not come back or whatever as well. Yeah. Although, yeah, then, you know, I would, strug- I would struggle with that. Hmm. Um, personally, I would really struggle. I mean, I guess I'd have to think of – I'd have to be able to respond in a way that's respectful – of the situation and that person, but also makes a point that I want to make because I, I couldn't not say yeah. anything. It would yeah. be too hard, especially if I had to deal with it all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it would not actually, be easy. It isn't an all the time situation, but yes, I've had to deal with it a, a couple of yeah. times. Um, and it just, and you know, you know, talking about that, 
because you have to ask the question because you don't know because yeah. like my one of my mentees that I was given she's blonde hair blue eyed and I had no idea she is yeah. um aboriginal heritage because we never it never came up in conversation because it's not it's not the focus of our discussions yeah right um until helping her find work we're looking at this role that was for someone with Aboriginal and Torres Strait background. And I, and this is my my bias and ignorance, mm-hmm. said, oh, well, you probably can't apply for this job. Yeah. Right? That's what I said to her. And she says, oh, oh, actually, I can. I am. And then she explained. And I was so surprised. But you shouldn't be. It's a reminder to me. You, don't, mm-hmm. you, you can't assume that here. Whereas and generally any biracial or heris- ethnic minorities like from my background, African, yeah. you can tell yeah. whether because of the skin color, the eye color, even features. No, you can't tell with you that. Can't, you um, cannot tell. The here. training that I had that was run by that that woman um, who was really good. She looked completely white, mm. like yeah, but she obviously wasn't. Yeah, like no. that <laughs> but um, well, that was the whole thing, I guess. Mm. Back in the day, they did notice that you could. Yeah, very quickly, and that has contributed to the genocide of mm. people. So yeah. Um, yeah, lots of things. Oh, we could talk about this. So that is very. That's a very disturbing yeah. news. Very distressing. Yeah. Um, and we felt we needed to share it mm-hmm. because there's a problem. Mm-hmm. I guess it's like, what can you do about it? You're listening, like, and you're thinking. Because I'm thinking there's different people, different types of reactions. There's um, a non-Indigenous people feeling like they're under attack or being judged as racist, as a generalisation, mm-hmm. right? There's going to be non-Indigenous Australians that really feel that and think it's terrible, it shouldn't happen, but don't know what they can do about it. Mm-hmm. And then everybody else is just really angry and pissed off and grieving and wants change, demands change. Mm-hmm. Which leads into you were talking about the Uluru statement and mm, yeah, actually, yeah, because I got somebody handed me a leaflet the other day, um, and they were talking about the Uluru statement from the heart, mm. and it's basically a call by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to have real and practical change in Australia through establishment of constitutionally enshrined voice to Parliament, because, like you say, it has to come from the top. It does. Things have to come from the top to change, to change, you know, the support systems, availability, um, institutionalized racism, programs, because you, you know, that program you went to that's for the health services mm. could completely transform people's attitudes. Yeah. So, th- so we need things like that. Yeah. And they need to be prioritized. Yeah, but it, they um, also need to come from Aboriginal people. Like, yeah. I don't know how many times, you know, Aboriginal people have said, hey, you can't just decide, oh, you're going to run this program. You know, as a government, we're going to run this program. Like, it needs to come from Aboriginal people. And this is what we need to do. Yeah. You, know, you can't just keep telling a group of people, this is what we're going to do. You know? Yeah, it needs to come from Aboriginal people. Exactly. So... They've, this Uluru statement, I guess, is they want the consensus of Indigenous people to elect representatives to Parliament mm-hmm. and they're holding on the change in the constitution. So I think that's the sticking point. And they want a fair go for Indigenous Australians to be recognised First Nations in the constitution. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand because I don't, and who does necessarily, why that would be such an issue. And Mina was um, explaining it to me. Thank you for educating me on the difference between saying you've settled in a country versus that you've conquered the country. If you've conquered a country, then you have to recognise Indigenous population in the moving forward in government. Um, But if you settled a country, you're saying that there there was no Indigenous people there and you can do what you want, basically. Yeah, basically, they when they came here and they said um, this place was settled. First, they didn't recognize Aboriginal people as anyone as a person, um, but it means English common law applied automatically, immediately. Mm. That's what it meant. Um, whereas, if you you then have to 
yeah, so that's what they're fighting for. They want their, you know, their to be part of the constitution. Mm. So it needs to change from the beginning, I think, to to make any real impact. Yeah, and and then the end of it. Well, they want indigenous led solutions. That's what we were just saying. And services are the most effective in making improvements. So you need to support the changes so we can make changes high up. That's what you can do. Yeah. yeah. So if this comes into a referendum, which I hope it does. So do I. Um, uh, then please vote. Yeah, if it comes and, into a referendum, and vote. vote. And this is the proposed vote. amendments. And this is the referendum question. I have it here because, I, like I say, somebody handed me a leaflet. So do you support an alteration to the constitution that establishes an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice? Yes or no, basically. And the amendments that are proposed, there shall be a body to be called the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. The Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice may make representations to parliament and the executive government on matters relating to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. And the parliament shall subject to this constitution have power to make laws with respect to the composition, functions, powers and procedures of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. So that's the amendments for a yes vote. Those amendments are the amendments that will be made. So go to ularustatement.org or fromtheheart.com.au for more information. So there you go. Mm, yes. Uh, a very necessary first step. Very necessary. I really hope there is a referendum. Mm. Totally vote for that. Okay, next story, a little more positive. Thank you. Because people are making a difference. People really are. Mm. So we have the title story, it's on ABC News. Bendigo's Dicey Magali Bartlett named Victorian Young Australian of the Year. Very young, like 24. Mm-hmm. So this is ABC News. Bendigo is a place in Victoria and Dicey Magali Bartlett is named Victorian Young Australian of the Year. And he is a Aboriginal community liaison officer for Victoria Police and has been instrumental in changing policy to ensure fewer Indigenous people enter the justice system and that they don't stay there if they do. The 24-year-old Gunai Kunai Mam helped create the state's first Aboriginal youth cautioning programme to ensure all young Indigenous people are eligible for a caution when coming into contact with the justice system for the first time. He says, I actually started as an Aboriginal health practitioner as Bendigo and District Corporation and was an amazing opportunity to find my passion in healthcare, he said. Then moved to Victoria Police to work with our most vulnerable young people and adults entering the justice system. And Mr. Magali Bartler had a difficult start to life, growing up in a dysfunctional environment, struggling through his schooling and his teens. I actually grew up in a kingship place with my grandmother, he said. A lot of my family members have been in and out of the system, whether it be child protection for the criminal justice system. I've seen the system's failures. It was an offhand comment by a school teacher that prompted his drive to create change. I remember a teacher at high school saying to me, Dicey, you don't write the rules. And that really stuck with me, he said. I thought, well, I don't write the rules, but they don't work for our people. So how about I be part of the change? And that's what it's been about for me, ensuring my community has a fair go. Mr. Magali Bartlett said he was determined to keep Aboriginal health in Aboriginal hands. It's going to be a journey, but I'm here to fight for that journey. The Victorian Australian of the Year recipients will progress in their respective categories as nominees for the national award. And national recipients are always announced in the new year, aren't they? January 2023. Mm. Okay, so maybe all the states, I don't even know how this works, all the states must nominate someone and then they get chosen for the national position. But what a great guy. Yes, but what... It's me. I'm always fascinated by people who have that clear, you know, moment, you know, where they're like, "No, this is this is not cool," and I'm going to be part of the change, you know. Mm. Well, you have that moment. You're doing this. <laughs> you do this podcast. That's what it's about. 
be part of the change. Part of the change. Part of the change. This guy, there's a photograph here, and again, obviously he's Aboriginal, but there's no, there's no physical characteristics to make that assumption. Yes. Yeah. It looks like a white Australian. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That's it. The, yeah. People. Yeah. Can't just assume. No. That, you know, just because you don't look like a person of color that you can't be Aboriginal. I know, but it's a bit. It's a bit conflicting, and I had this conversation with one of my mentees who has that, who doesn't look hmm. black, and there's that. There's the. There's two. There's, like it would have had to identify as an Aboriginal to get that role. Yeah. But there's the two things. It's like you have white privilege. He will have white privilege. Yeah. Because when you look at him, you don't know that he's Aboriginal. So people would attitudes will be completely different, mm. not knowing that he is Aboriginal. Mm. And then obviously, I wonder if he's ever experienced that whole change in attitude. I'm sure he has. I, I remember talking to one particular person, you know, obviously at work, and I asked her the same question, are you of Aboriginal descent or heritage and whatever? And she goes, I am, but I don't claim it. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah, so, you know, because mm-hmm. she finds it easier. Yeah, to easier not- to live, not identify as Aboriginal when you are, and that says a lot. Super sad. Super sad. And, and that was... different for me but similarly for me as well growing up in a predominantly white neighborhood white school Mm. I don't I didn't have a choice yeah I couldn't not I couldn't identify as white yeah um because it was obvious I wasn't however it's in the black community it's similar I'm not black enough to be black I have I have white privilege yeah honestly this is true um if you're lighter skinned um in lots of countries even in african countries you seem to have a privilege oh exactly. um, absolutely and actually yeah. it's in your in even in indian cultures is similar right literally yesterday not yesterday what day was it thursday i was talking to a patient and whatever and i get this all the time oh what's your background you know and patients are you just curious you know mm-hmm. i'm always you know it's I'm, you know, Fijian Indian, blah, blah, blah. He goes, oh, you're very light-skinned for a Fijian Indian. And I, I, I've had that so many times and I'm just, I never know how to say, what to say. when people What do you want to say? Let's just take yeah, the filters out. <laughs> what do you want to say? I'm just like, thanks, but I don't think that's the compliment that you think it is. <laughs> You know, like, I'm just like, I just, I'm like, she goes, you know, and and I'm just like, I didn't know. What do you know? What do you know? I I was being a dick a little bit, but I was just like, oh, I didn't realize that Indians were, you know, like I'm I'm lighter skinned and what it goes, oh yeah, you know, Indians are usually much darker. I'm like, oh, I'm just like, what is this conversation that I'm having? Yeah. So, um, yeah. But what does it mean? Yeah, exactly. Because I don't know. I don't know. I think obviously even non-Indians are aware of how much Indians discriminate with uh, when it comes to skin color. So I don't don't know. Like, you know, that's that's been the whole thing growing up is Mm. the only thing that I would get complimented for, really. But how do you know it's a compliment and not just an observation? Well, because because people view people with lighter skin in a more positive light. I don't know. It's supposed to be a, a, a higher beauty standard or something, you okay. know. Um, so people will. And if you've ever been on any of those uh, Indian matchmaker, you know, Indian TV shows, um, no, um, dating websites, they will actually have a category for color. No. Oh yeah, I've never said this. Oh my god. No. The first time that I saw it, and I remember the first time that it says, you, you know, color. And I remember thinking for a second, like, what are they talking about? Then realizing, holy shit. And it is, and it goes from I can't remember now, but it, it's like fair, wheatish, and I forgot what what the rest of it is. But I don't think Fifty Shades of Brown. 
just I remember thinking I cannot deal with this you know like it just oh man because growing up you know my brothers are you know they they're great at cricket and they're really smart and they're you know like all of these things and me everybody's like oh Mino's fair like, <laughs> like it's almost like that's your attribute that's my attribute like and I'm just like oh it makes you want to I'm just like, oh, that's that's nice. That's really, uh, really it's not really attribute you want you no, want to be identified with necessarily. No, no, I know what you mean. No. Yeah, and like same with me. People compliment, oh, you've got beautiful skin and yes. skin so I soft. You on a date with a guy. Oh, don't even get me started with that date that I had to escape from very quickly. You were just the right color. It was just the right colour, just the, right just the color. nice right yes. colour brown. Yeah, while yes, he was touching lovely. my arm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, oh, man. I was just like, I don't, uh, if you compliment my skin for its health, because I health is a high value of mine and I really like to focus on health. Yes. Like, in how I, what I eat and put in and, you yeah. know, that's different. But if you're focusing on my skin colour, I can't do anything. I have no control over that. I know. So I don't particularly enjoy the, it's not necessarily a compliment, although I'm not going to poo-poo it. It's just yeah. it's just when it's repeatedly, yeah. it's just like, it's telling me that this, you're either, you're either criticizing it or you're complimenting it, right? Yeah. And then you're telling me this is a beauty standard yeah. that is out of my control and other people's. Yeah. It's not something you should be judged, want to be judged by, really, personally. But I love how much it's changing. I love, I never saw Bridget in first season, whatever. The second season, though, I loved it. And I loved the two Indian girls in it. I love that there were a beautiful shade of brown <laughs> that is usually not appreciated, yeah. in, you know, proper, you know, media or whatever. Yeah. And it was just, I remember telling my mom, I remember telling her, I'm like, dude, if I'm not even like, and she's my mom and they have so much, you know, sex and that thing, but I'm like, it doesn't matter. I'm like, just go and watch it. I'm like, you'll feel good. It made me feel good. Oh, wow. It's beautiful. We had talked about that before. I was just wondering because even, um, you know, in like China and Asian countries is the whole keep not getting tanned and having these sun umbrellas. And I thought it, I thought, so, and you know, I could be totally wrong. It came from the lower classes being working outside, working in the fields, working on the farms, and they would become very tanned because they were exposed to the sun. So that was kind of a a physical representation of poor, low class, lower class. Yeah. I'm wondering if that's where it comes from. So that you're darker, you seem to be of lower class. And, they, you know, over the hundreds of years and thousands of years, yeah. it's kind of st- stuck in the psyche of a yeah. culture. I think that's definitely, I, I believe that's where it comes from, from India, but also the occupation, the British occupation of India. And uh, okay. You know, that became a standard, being white and things like that became, you know, a thing. So, white and light is more superior or something. Basically, yeah, mm. it's a superiority thing. So, therefore you know, that's something to aspire to. And and there'll be, maybe white people listen to this, don't even understand how that's a thing. Mm. Mm. That, that's a thought. That's a, a thought, a mindset. Yes. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Even a feeling. I must say, and I do this, and I feel really bad. I don't know why it came up, but, you know, one of my friends who's Asian is married to a white man. He's lovely. You know, and I, I again, and I've done this, for some reason, we came onto the whole, you know, um, how white are you, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. How white is who? Um, you know, in general, how white are you? And he's he he jokingly said, I'm super white. Oh, know? he's white. Like, do you mean like yeah. skin colour or behaviour? Like, what do you mean? No, 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 skin colour. Like, he's oh. very white. He doesn't tan very easily. Bottom. I don't even know why we were talking about it. And... Um, he goes and we're like yeah we're aware you're very white you know blah blah blah. and then he goes no no you're not and then he, I think he lifted up his shirt and I sort of gasped <laughs> and he's like and he's like what was that and I'm like oh my god you really are very <laughs> like milk bottle that's what my mum would describe it as milk bottle wine then he's like geez you're dramatic and I'm like I just, I was just 
like oh my gosh anyway sorry yes you're right it's perfectly fine you look great <laughs> I do remember sometimes we are a little bit harsh so fair enough um, so I'm just like and this has happened twice so I'm just like never do it again like never do it again you know so um, keeps, oh, so funny all right, we better move on quickly because we're like going out of time again. All right. In what would you do, Mino? Yes. You ready for a what would you do? So we're talking, this is in the context of the workplace, virtual meetings, you know, today, yeah. most most of the world yeah. works virtually where you're working from home, you've got meetings. That's very, very common these days, post-COVID. Yeah. So this is in that context. So you, your manager, you run a call and your manager yeah. calls out a team member during a virtual meeting for not turning on her video when she seems reluctant to do so. Yeah. So yes. what would you do? I don't think I'd do anything. To be honest, I've been in this situation. Okay. you know, Because um, I think myself and my manager also, like... Um, we're very like I always turn on my video I'm usually at work to be honest I can't remember the last time I worked from home so it Mm. makes no difference to me Mm. Um, I can understand people working from home sometimes you know I don't know are not you know maybe haven't combed hair or still in their pajamas or something so they have a reason not to want to turn on their camera Mm. I've always thought it's nice to turn on your camera so if I have a team meeting, like one-on-one with a person, mm. um, I'm usually like, oh, you haven't turned on your camera. And then they usually either turn it on or don't turn it on. I don't force people to turn it on if they don't mm. want to. But I do mention it and go, hey, yeah. you, oh, do you want to turn on your camera? Huh? Yeah. Fine. So, I, yeah, I think it's normal to say something. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's normal to force someone. Yeah, I mean, similarly, I've been in a situation and I guess I'm, I wouldn't say I force people, but I very um, strongly recommend <laughs> people put their video on. And I and I kind of say like, oh, you know, please put your video on. Be really good to see your face, who I'm talking yeah. to. Exactly. And also from a leadership perspective, because, you know, I'm a leadership coach, communication is only 7% of the words you say. Yeah. So part of the communication, if you want to be impactful, if you want to make your message understood, if yeah. you want to really listen to what somebody's communicating to you, it's really important to see them as well because you can see, Absolutely. you know, what's going on, not just hearing or listening to the yeah. voice. Um, so that's another part of why it's so important. It's really important from a communication perspective to also see people. Um, and to be honest, me, myself, if I have turned my camera off, I'm not paying as much attention. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Is that, and is that as well? Doing other things in the back. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But what's interesting. So that was like, you know, when I worked in the corporate in pharmaceutical land and I was leading teams, that's what I would encourage people to do. And there would be people that were not comfortable for sure. But the more you do it, you know, the more comfortable people got. I think part of that uncomfortableness is the seeing themselves. Yes. And that's a whole other issue that we'll bring up another time. Yeah. Part of it is seeing themselves. Well, you can pin the speaker. You don't have to look at yourself. But yeah. at least everybody else can see you, right? Well, in Zoom anyway, you can pin the speaker. Yeah. But this is what this says because it's making me think as well now. It says... Being put on the spot like this can trigger anxiety and stress. So if you're in the meeting, you're like, you need to turn your video on. Yeah. yeah. It can tri- trigger anxiety and stress. It says if the employee has her children with her, she may be being judged as unprofessional. Yeah. And you have that where we, we were forced to school, homeschool or forced to have your children or the home sick or whatever. Yeah. There's that. There must be that attitude that it's unprofessional because you're supposed to be working, so you shouldn't be dealing with your children. But that's the reality of the world we live in right and people working around the hours the business hours to make up for that so you've got a bias a bias that can affect all parents but impacts women more than men as women are more likely to be interrupted by their children yeah women are also penalized more than men for not looking well groomed and put together well it's true in the sense that people in the media and everywhere always commenting on women's appearance so that suggests you also have when you're um yeah you need to always look good right 
and this creates a particular burden for black women mm. like me who have to spend mm. a lot more time on their hair to avoid negative judgments and this is because of a biased belief that natural hair is unprofessional this is my natural hair and I do not care I think it's lovely and it's professional for me so this is obviously very American American kind of um, idea you know there's black women everywhere I I've not got makeup on now yeah I go into my meetings I don't wear makeup I don't, I mean, my hair's quite low maintenance, if I'm honest, but I understand for some black women that that isn't the case because they may like braid it or whatever. It's just high maintenance to look professional. And it may be different if you're on with clients or doing a deal or whatever. You may need to be made up. I've, I've come on calls with people and they'd be very made up. They wouldn't sue, makeup, hair, immaculate. And I, and I notice, I'm like, wow, you look great. It's, you know, you must have had to put two hours before this meeting to prepare. So I guess there's that idea that you need to look that way. Mm. And I think in context, yeah, in certain circumstances, maybe that's important. Mm. But I don't think it should be the expectation yeah. um, all the time. So yeah. it made me think when I'm like, put your video on. It made me think a bit about what could be going on. But what you could do is you can speak up and point out that She's that whoever it is, no video on. They're there. They're they're participating, even if you can't see them. Mm. Um, you know, it's okay to leave your video off from time to time. I do that sometimes. Like you know, sometimes I have to leave my video off uh, if I haven't done my hair, whatever. Just make a comment, um, and then later talk to your manager about it separately. And then we'll say why it happened. And this is what this this says: managers may insist on video because they want their team members to feel connected. Mm. especially if they cannot be together in person yeah. or they may ask employees to turn on video to ensure that everyone is productive and engaged and not doing other things <laughs> both reasons but this does not take into account everything an employee may be balancing while working from home including childcare and housework and it doesn't make allowances for the anxiety employees may feel about how they look or their look or their home looks on a busy or chaotic day that's why we have now virtual backgrounds and I think virtual backgrounds are wonderful. And I have to say, it's been a bit weird being on, um, being on a call with someone. These have all happened. Being on the call with someone with the video on, talking to them, and all I've seen behind them is a pile of washing. It's <laughs> distracting, I have to say. I'm like, oh, I'm looking at the wall. So whatever's in the background can be actually distracting to others. True. You need to take that into consideration which is why I love virtual backgrounds. But yeah, seeing people builds connection, helps you stay engaged and focused and read, read people so you can communicate effectively. So there's all those reasons. But then there's also the consideration of depending on the context of the meeting, what's going on for that person that just might not be a day to have your video on. Mm. Yes. Mm. So we get that, right? Oh. but yeah it's really interesting because I'm working for this client and it, I think it's a culture thing maybe I'm making an assumption working with a Chinese client and we have meetings and nobody puts a video on not a single person I started because I'm used to having my video on so I started with my video on and I sit in there and I'm like I'm the only person with my video on <laughs> yeah yeah I'm in a meeting like that and maybe I've been in once or twice. I will turn my video off. Yeah, feels- well, let's, yeah, I've started to turn my video off because nobody else has. So what am I? What am I? I'm just looking at myself. Exactly. <laughs> There's nobody to, to look at. They don't even have profile pictures. Yeah, which is weird. I, I like, if you don't have videos, I like that you have a, you have a profile picture. picture. If you don't have a video, at least have a profile picture. That's yeah. what exactly. So that people can at least feel like they're talking to someone. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Especially same. Because if you don't know, it feels weird to talk to someone, you know, that isn't on a phone and not know what they look like, you know. It is, um, yeah. So. But, yeah, just really interesting. I'm working with this company and that's what, that's yeah. the scenario. That none of them use the videos and they don't have profile pictures. Yeah, that is bizarre. It is very bizarre. Anyway. Anyway. Okay. Okay. We yeah. are. 
we are we've we need to wrap it up right now mm. okay. oh, oh as usual always a pleasure mm. yes vote vote for the referendum yes <laughs> the Uluru statement look yeah. it up read about it inform yourself um and we'll speak to you next week yes bye bye thank you so much for tuning in we hope you have as much fun with us today as we did if what you heard resonated with you don't forget to show the love and like our YouTube channel, All One with Tracy G. Give us a five-star rating on whichever podcast platform is lucky enough to have this episode because they rock too. Feel free to email us stories or questions at alloneinclusive at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter if updating yourself about everything which goes down sounds like something right up your alley at tracygandu.com. Until the next time, see ya!